The scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 23. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the house of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall this I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering of his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a man walks into a bank, not wearing a mask, pulls out a gun, tells the, cut, tells the tellers to give him all the money in their drawers. After getting a bag of cash, he goes to the first person in line and says, and what did you see? First person very boldly said, well, I saw you. I saw what you look like. I'm going to tell the police. And then bang, the guy shoots him right there in the stomach. He crumbles to the ground. The second guy goes to help him, but before he can do that, the guy points the gun at him and says, and what did you see? Guy takes a gulp, not really sure how to answer, but gets bold at the very end and says, well, I saw you, and I saw what you look like, and I'm going to tell the police, and bang, shoots the second guy in line. By now, the, the, the bank is just all upset. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen. Goes to the third person in line and says, and what did you see? And the guy said, well, I didn't see anything. 
but my mother-in-law is standing right over there. She saw the whole thing. Now, I'm allowed to tell that joke because I learned it from my father-in-law. And there's a certain irony to telling that joke today on a day when my mother-in-law is here in church with us. What is it about in-laws that attracts so many jokes? Not just in-laws, families in general, right? How many of you used to watch the show Everybody Loves Raymond? Remember, they lived, and then his parents lived across the street, but came over whenever they wanted. Remember this? Something about families bring out great dramas and great comedies. Do you remember the, the movie? I, I think this is one of the best examples of it. My Big Fat Greek Wedding. You remember that? She goes to college out of her Greek family, meets a guy who is entirely not Greek. They get engaged, but then she's got to bring him home and introduce him to her whole weird family and all their traditions so that they can have a traditional Greek wedding. There's something about families that bring these kind of jokes, right? And we all have them. We all have those crazy uncles or that person in the family that's just not quite there. You know what I mean? We all can predict what's going to happen Christmas Eve or Thanksgiving dinner because we've been there before. And if you don't have a crazy uncle, there's a good chance you're it, okay? <laughs> Something about the holidays, though, brings this out even more, though, doesn't it? Whether it's gift exchanges and visits, cards, or too much eggnog, something happens that brings out the dysfunction in our families. Sometimes it's so difficult to get through the the family dynamics that are so exacerbated during the holidays. And for some reason, things that were in the past don't always stay in the past when the holidays come around. But you should know Christmas has always been like this since the very first Christmas. In the Gospel of Luke, there is actually two families. And Luke does this interesting thing, and we don't read the Christmas story near enough for ourselves. Because what Luke does is he bounces back and forth between these two stories of Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph, John the Baptist and Jesus. And we're meant to compare these stories. And because we don't read them for ourselves, very often we don't read them together and we don't understand what he is trying to do there. So today, today what I want to do is look at these two families and try to help you connect. Luke does not begin his birth narrative, his Christmas story, with Mary and Joseph. He begins where we heard in the reading, with Mary's relative, Elizabeth. We're not quite sure if they're cousins, perhaps because of an age difference, she's like Mary's aunt or something. Um, but we know that she is a relative, and she's married to this man, Zechariah, who is a priest. Now, they're both very good people. The text says they follow the commandments. They walk rightly with the Lord. And they're actually from very important lines. They have good pedigree. He is from the division of Abijah, and a respectable priestly line. And she is a direct relative of Aaron, the brother of Moses, and the real first priest of Israel. But they have no children. 
She is barren, and they are now too old to have children. And it's hard for us to get our minds around this idea of the importance of children. Certainly, some of us in this room have been through uh, problems getting pregnant, or we know of people, we all know of people who have gone through that. But in those days, it was even a, a different kind of struggle, because your children were your legacy. Okay, your children were what you passed on. The children carried on the name and, and the history. And especially for people who were of the good pedigree that they were, had the great family lines, you were expected to have children. And if you didn't have children, it was expect, you were looked at as being cursed. It was like God was in some way not with you or angry with you or you had done something and you get received public shame because of it. In a way, that is exactly what Israel is feeling at that time. You may not know this because you can turn the page from Malachi at the end of the Old Testament to Matthew at the New Testament, and you think, oh, we're just a page later, right? But that's 400 years in that page. 400 years of God not speaking. 400 years of Israel uh, being out of the exile but still under Roman authority. 400 years of wondering, has God abandoned us or cursed us? Malachi 3.23 had said someone would come in the spirit and power of Elijah and after him would come the Messiah. But it's four centuries later. They wonder, has God abandoned them? Is Israel cursed? But the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Israel is changed forever on one particular day. Zechariah is chosen by Lot to go into the temple. It's his turn. He's got to go light the incense, burn the incense inside of the holy area. This would have been a great honor that maybe he only had a couple times in his whole life. Maybe only once in your life would the lot come to you and you would be the priest that has to go in there. You'd have to get dressed up. Everyone would pray for you. You would go through a cleansing ritual and then go into the holy area. It would be a great honor. What he was not expecting when he got in there was an angel to speak to him. Remember God hasn't spoken in centuries. He finds an angel, and the text says that Zechariah was troubled and fear fell upon him. My modern translation would say he freaked out. Okay, He sees an angel, and he freaks out as we all would. The angel tells him that his prayers are answered. Elizabeth is going to have a son, and his description makes it very clear that his son is the promised One that would come in the spirit and power of Elijah before the Messiah. Zechariah answers, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Notice two things. Notice the wisdom of Zechariah that he calls himself old but doesn't call his wife old. Right? I'm old and my wife, well, she's advanced in years. Okay? But also notice... His question about how can this be? He knows, he, he knows enough about biology to know it's not supposed to work anymore. Okay? This is, we are past the age where this can happen. And he's probably spent years of his life praying over this, wondering over this, expecting, okay, God, are you going to show up? And he's probably spent years now accepting the fact that he's not going to have children. He's going to have the scorn of the community around he and his wife. And that's that. 
And now here's an angel saying, well, not so fast. You can't even accept it. But then Gabriel drops the hammer. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to give you this good news. But since you can't accept this news, I'm going to make you mute until your son is born. And I wish I could have seen Zechariah come out of that temple and try to mime what had happened. No, I really wish I could have been there when he got home, right? All right, he's trying to, he can't speak for nine months. He can't speak, and he's trying to tell Elizabeth, angel, baby, you know, he's trying to get this across. For nine and a half months, he mimes everything. He can't talk. Some of your wives are like, sign me up. <laughs> but, but for nine and a half months, where you're trying to figure this out, you're going to have your first child, and you can't talk to your husband about it. I mean, this, this is a difficult time. And what would the community think? Do you think the community was like, yeah, yeah, an angel. That's what did this, right? No, you know what the story's going to be? Elizabeth found a younger man. That's what happened. That's going to be the assumption that she can finally conceive. And what did Elizabeth herself think? Well, the text gives a great response from her. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Like that's what God did. And she understands the reproach she had among people, but she has this great faithful response. A similar response, by the way, to what her relative gives about 80 miles north in a little town called Nazareth, where a young Virgin Mary, maybe 12, 13 years old, is visited by an angel and told that she will have a child. She also knows a little bit about biology. And she says to the angel rightly, uh, Behold, uh, she says, How can this be since I am a virgin? Very legitimate question, right? And the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will move upon her for her conception. And she says, Behold, I am in the servants of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Such an amazing, faithful response from this young girl that she would say, Okay, God, I wonder if we as Protestants have missed out a little bit on Mary. Because we've been so distant from her, we haven't wanted to pray for her, pray to her, or that kind of thing, that we've missed out on what a great and faithful character she is. We have to understand her situation. She is betrothed, but, but we talk about betrothed almost like engagement. That's not what betrothed meant. It requires divorce to get out of the relationship. Revires, requires divorce. And so she's got to tell everybody... Uh, that she's betrothed, she's already in process to be married, and uh, she's got to tell everybody that now she's pregnant. Now listen, nobody's going to buy the Holy Spirit story. Okay? There's nobody in the community that's going to say, yep, an angel told you that, and you, and, and you haven't even, and yet you have this young one inside of you. Nobody's going to buy that. We see the dilemma from Joseph's perspective in Matthew. He has really three options and none of them are good. He could divorce her. And if he divorces her, he's basically saying uh, that she cheated on him. And uh, leaving her out in the cold. Nobody else is going to marry her. Um, it's going to be a very difficult life for her. 
He could publicly shame her, which would probably lead to her stoning as if she had had an affair. Or he can marry her, but then what's it going to look like? It's going to look like it's his. It's going to look like he's claiming that it's his, and so he also will be shamed in the community because he uh, is admitting what he has done. He's told by an angel, by the way, to go ahead and marry her. He says he's going to divorce her quietly because he doesn't want to put her to public shame or see her stone. But an angel tells him to go ahead and marry her. Um, but remember, the angel didn't show up to his parents. <laughs> okay? The angel didn't show up to her parents. The angel didn't show up and tell the rest of the community, look, here's what's actually happening. You can stop guessing. Here's the news report from heaven. No, what are they assuming? They're assuming some not good behavior. And all the rest of their lives, there would be rumors that followed them. The angel tells Mary to go see Elizabeth. Why? Because they have so much in common in this moment. Yeah, it's different. Elizabeth is too old for children. Mary is too young for children. Elizabeth had tried and can't have a baby. Mary has not tried yet. But they find comfort in each other. So Mary makes this journey to see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, when she hears Mary's voice, the baby starts doing somersaults and getting all excited in her womb because John the Baptist's whole goal in life was to proclaim and praise the Messiah who was coming. And even from the womb, he is faithful to that call. You should go back this week and read the rest of the story in Luke. Mary sings a great song we call the Magnificat. John the Baptist is born, and then Zechariah sings this amazing song after he gets to speak, confirming the name of John the Baptist. Then a few months later, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the rest of the story that we are more familiar with. But the birds of these cousins are not the end of the trouble. There would always be questions, suspicions. How many family members rejected them and stayed away? How many neighbors talked about what really might have happened? How often did Joseph's family bring up the past when they got together for Christmas celebrations? Well, they didn't do Christmas celebrations, but they got together more than we do for all the Jewish celebrations. How welcome were they at those events? And for Mary, she would see her son's ministry, witness his conflict with the religious authorities, and Mary would end up seeing him on the cross. See, from that very first Christmas, the story of Jesus is surrounded by family drama. The good news of Jesus is accompanied by conflict and misunderstandings. Is it a surprise to us that it happens to us too? part of Christmas. It's part of what happens. It's full of odd dynamics and awkward moments from the start. But in our big, fat, dysfunctional family Christmas that we all seem to, separate, to, to experience, I think we learn something important about Advent. We learn the need of Jesus to come, to bring peace. Not like world peace. Yeah, we need that too, right? It's easy when we say peace to say, oh yeah, we need peace in this world. But you know what you need? Peace in your life. How many of you need peace in your families? How many of you could use a little peace with your in-laws, right? The peace that Jesus brings isn't like pie in the sky, peace forever. It's peace for you in your life, with your family, with the struggles that you go through. So maybe it's not so much a 
a dysfunction of your family. Maybe you have a big, fat, dysfunctional job. Or you have big, fat, dysfunctional friends. Or maybe you're the dysfunctional one. Right? But Christ comes to bring peace to all that dysfunction and all that separation. And I am struck as I look at these characters, Zechariah and Joseph, but especially Elizabeth and Mary, at how they find peace in difficult times. I think they do three things. Number one, they're submissive to God's leading. What does Mary say? Let it be according to my word. Oh, if we could only just do that. Just just open your hands in your life and say, let it be according to thy word. I'm going to stop trying to control everything, and I'm just going to go with whatever God has for me. Number two, they're obedient. When God calls them to go, they go. When God calls them to marry, they marry. When God calls them to name John, they name him John. They obey, they go where God tells them. If only that's how we would be, I think we would find a different kind of peace in our lives. And here's the most important thing. As I read these stories, I think they must have been so patient in the waiting. Nine and a half months, Zechariah can't talk. Okay, nine and a half months, Mary has to wonder. She has to ponder all these things in her heart. For 30 years, she has to wonder how this is all going to go until Jesus finally really starts his ministry. And over months, over years, in little moments, they learn to wait patiently with hope. And it's my prayer that we would all follow their example and find a little bit of peace in our families and in our lives these holidays. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.